0: Hey, I just got back from lunch. Did you finish that report yet?
2: Uh, well, not exactly. i still working on it. I'm not finished just yet. Uh, I got a little sidetracked, but I will get them to you first thing this afternoon.
1: <laughs> it is first thing this afternoon.
2: Well, yeah, I, I understand that, but I mean, I, I am working but on it. W- what on. do you mean that the report isn't finished yet? I'm, I'm still in the process of working on it. I've just been a little distracted. D- distracted? Our meeting starts in an hour
1: Dude, are you even listening to me right now?
2: Welcome to episode seventy-nine of the Whitetail Distraction Podcast. My name's Austin, and joining me via the interwebs, Charles Headland. How you doing, buddy? <laughs> doing
0: fantastic. Man. That's what I
2: like to hear, buddy.
0: Fan freaking tastic. We're breaking in on some really nice weather. Turkey season's around the corner. Fishing's coming up soon, huh?
2: Yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. I'm very excited about that. Heck yeah! I and
0: mean, the news is out, boys and girls. We forgot to tell everybody, Yakin' for Bass is officially on.
2: Where's it posted? Where did he did he post it yet? I haven't seen it. I knew it's on, but I didn't I haven't seen it yet.
0: I might be jumping the gun on the post. But as far as the inside information that I have is there will be a Yakin' for Bass tournament this year from May fifteenth to June fifteenth. As far as some of the prizes and stuff is probably not going to be as extensive because we got a really late jump on it this year. Not sure what's going to happen. Walter Lee, the Chasing Tales podcast is expecting his first baby somewhere around, I want to say mid May, maybe or late May.
2: Yeah, somewhere in May.
0: Yeah, so it's somewhere in the towards the end tail of May, Uh tail end of May. Sorry. But I don't know, man. I hope that it happens and I, I think it will. As far as I understand, it's going, it's going down. It's probably going to be the same price as usual. It's a, it's a bass tournament. Uh, we're going to be fishing from kayaks and I guess they'll better time to announce our other news that we have, huh?
2: Yeah, buddy. Yeah. This is one that I'm really excited about too. You know, we were talking to Parker McDonald. You know, he's the freaking, he's the kayak hunter, man. You know, he's, we fish against him in the, Yakima Bass Tournament, we've done that for a few years now. He's just a great frickin' dude. And, you know, Walter Lee actually uses one also. And, you know, I think, I, I might be wrong, but I think Chase actually has one also. So we might have, like, the 5-fecta, the not the trifecta, but the 5-fecta now. Yeah, we got? and
0: don't forget, I believe the Rut River Boys are also rocking new canoes, those F-12s.
2: Oh my god, man. Okay, so we're like the 9-fecta.
0: <laughs> Depending on how many of those, yeah, man, you got nine, eleven.
2: Old catfish yeah. is like the freaking the godfather of it. If he finds one, he gets his boys in him. I guess.
0: Yes, that's right. He is. So we have officially partnered with New Canoe. Yeah, man. Yep, and that's going to be a new partner to the show. And you and I will both be rocking a new canoe. I I placed my order. I got the confirmation today for the new Unlimited.
2: Sweet, sweet, sweet.
0: Which is brand new. It just come out. There's a huge backlog on them, of course. But it oh, is yeah. like first hunting, fishing style kayak that they're coming out with. They're trying to dip their toes in the hunting realm.
2: And here we are to take full advantage of that. I dig it, man. I dig it. I don't know if I'm going quite that exclusive with the, uh, the unlimited or not, but <laughs> I'm definitely going to get one.
0: <laughs> I mean, I get it. It's just like for me, the price difference between, you know, the frontier 12, um, and the unlimited, it almost didn't make sense to go with the F12 over the unlimited for me,
2: you know? So
0: I don't know. I think it's going to be a, a really good boat. It's going uh, <laughs> to, Huge upgrade for me. Oh my know.
2: gosh. Yeah, absolutely.
0: <laughs> Coming from a nine and a half foot to a 12 and a half foot kayak at that. It's, yeah. You know, it's twice the weight, uh, twice the stability. It's going to be, it's going to be amazing. I can't wait to get, get my butt in one.
2: Yeah, dude. That's going to be, that's going to be killer, man. I'm, I'm very excited myself. Very excited. Yeah. yeah. So everybody
0: out there, go check out New Canoe. Go to their website. Look at their new kayaks. They have a whole line of kayaks. They have every option you can possibly imagine. If you want to pedal, uh, if
2: you want to actually use the paddle, they have. They have powered <laughs> kayaks, also. Yeah. You know, they got the nope. Torquito the Torquido, Torquedo? One of the. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> yep. You can put a little, uh, little engine back there too. You know, a little Honda. I think they sell right from their site as well. I they, think they do. Uh,
2: yeah, yeah. They they have so many options, man. I mean, go check them out. Freaking phenomenal, you know, new canoe, new canoe, new canoe. <laughs> that's right. I'm excited. I am too, buddy. I am so, too. So, speaking
0: uh, fishing and hunting from a kayak. Oh, buddy.
2: Oh, buddy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that goes hand in hand with our guest tonight. It, it
2: does, man. It does. We yeah, have we old cat- Catman. Jonathan well, Boom. Catman right. Outdoors. The old Catman. The old Catman.
0: That's, I mean, uh, man, Catman is, what an awesome dude, for one. Everybody you talk to, when you talk about Catman, they always say, that is just one good guy. Yeah, totally. He's one heck of a genuine dude. How funny was he? We were, we were Zooming with him, and he's just got a whole rack behind him of (laughs) sheds. Yeah. He's like, oh yeah, that's a pretty good one. Just modest as all hell. He pulls out, you know, probably a
2: 50-inch side, just.
0: Oh, yeah, that was a pretty good one I found the other day. And, you know, these are just, you know, this year's. And then...
2: (laughs) Pulls out a big handful of frickin' turkey beards. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, these are some of the ones that I got. and You know, if you haven't seen his YouTube channel as well, man, you gotta head over there. Because he has so many great videos. We mentioned it in the episode, like, how many videos he goes into with just kind of the little how-tos or little just genuine cat man things
2: that he does totally totally man he's got hunting content fishing content you know how to for cooking if you want to go through some of those how to make wing bone calls how to paint your shotgun like the dude's just an all-around outdoorsman his videos are freaking awesome
0: yeah he was out shooting like blackbirds or whatever the hell those things are. It's European starlings. I call them starlings. Star- starlings. Okay, that's yeah. what they are called. Yeah. I was just gonna say I call them starlings. I don't know the official name, but yeah, he's out there just plinking them. You know, <laughs> like who does that? Who drops a video like that? That man. is Awesome, man.
2: <laughs> I love it. I love it.
0: It's so catman.
2: It is, man. It is.
0: <laughs> well, no further ado. Let's uh, let's go ahead and get the man on. What do you think? I like it, buddy. All right, guys, we are back with another episode. We have a very exciting guest for you. We are rolling with turkey content. And who better to keep the turkey content moving than Jonathan Bohm? which if you don't know that name, it's because he goes by Catman. And that's the family-friendly name there, Catman it is. But what's going on, Catman? How are you today, buddy? Pretty good. How about yourself? Doing well, man. No complaints here. Uh It's was really warm for a couple days. It got cold again. So if I had a complaint, I guess is it's getting cold again. It it was a little that teaser first, that
1: spring that turkey was fall, coming. Spring when it's like, <laughs> it's like, oh, finally spring's around the corner. It's warm out. And then nope, the winter's not over yet.
2: Oh yeah. yeah. I was at my yard today and uh, a couple of the maple trees started getting some buds on them. And then the really? snow flurry started flying. And <laughs> they're a little confused yet. <laughs>
1: Yeah, all our maples are, have been blooming for weeks now, but there, nothing leaves out here until early April, most of the stuff. So like it, it looks, it feels like spring, but it doesn't quite look like spring yet, but it gets me fired up. I've been thinking turkeys nonstop here for the past couple weeks.
0: Right. That's right. Yeah. For us, we're a little bit behind that. We, uh, we may not even see a lot of green until you know, May for the most part, I would say. And it uh, that all really depends on how much rain we get in April. Yeah. And um, if, if it stays cold, I mean, last year in turkey season, our season opens up in May, typically like the first day of May or right around that area. I mean, it was snowing. We, we had at one point, I remember turkey hunting and we got like two inches of snow on the ground in the day. It was insane. And that was not the first day. That was like second week. so middle of may we got a snowstorm you just
1: you never know that doesn't happen here we got um we had a pretty good snow here a couple weeks ago i just about shut everything down i got stuck in my own driveway the first night and then it snowed some more so that was fun but it got old pretty quick and then finally it melted and got warm again it's been in the 50s and 60s this week so it's been really nice (laughs) yeah but uh it's it's getting cold the next couple nights. I mean, it's typical. It's you know, fluctuates. But um, I went out the other morning. The nose yesterday morning. I went out to scout and listen and that video I just posted. I expected to hear some birds on the limb, which I didn't. And as soon as I dropped down in the creek bottom, I got into sight. So I know they were somewhere around. It could have either been they just weren't gobbling yesterday, or or they were down in a hollow where I literally couldn't hear them, but. Here in the next week or two, before I head down to Alabama, I'm going to try to get out a couple of times and listen just to hear him gobble. Really no other reason. I just want to hear him gobble. Yeah. So
0: what, before <clears> we <throat> jump into that, because you brought up a good topic, I do want to touch on. Um, why don't you go ahead and give a, a little intro of, of who you are and, um, maybe introduce, uh, your channel. Like you just mentioned, you have a video that you just recently posted tonight.
1: If you want to go ahead and, uh, do that for us, that'd be, that'd be great. So short. Short (laughs) version here, I guess. I grew up in a family of seven. Well, seven now, I guess. I'm the firstborn. Nobody in my family hunts. Oh, man. And I kind of, I got into fishing when I was 11, I think. And so I got real big into fishing then. And it just kind of, something sparked in my head where I went down to the creek and was like, I want to catch a fish. And we just kind of went from there. And the same thing happened with hunting late. 2009 going into 2010. And that's actually when I started my channel. I, I learned about, that's when I found out deer shed their antlers. I actually, I went and found a couple sheds and, and I started making a couple videos. And, uh, so it was just a hobby. Like that's when I started my channel. I was just taking a camera everywhere. And if I got a video that I thought was interesting, I'd post it. And I mean, I guess that's still what I do, but, uh, I kind of learned as I went. You know, from 2010 ish until I mean, I'm still learning. So I learned a lot by, you know, going online and doing research and then getting on forums and stuff and meeting some people and, and getting a little experience there. But I pretty much had to start from scratch and kind of make videos along the way. And then my filming, like the videos themselves, got a little better over the years because I started taking it more seriously. And so, That's how I got where I am now, pretty much. I've got a channel that's doing pretty well now, and I try to put the most interesting and educational content that I can possibly put on there. So I I might not post a video every single week during turkey season, during deer season, I will. But during the off season, I don't even post anything unless I think it's worth posting. So that's kind of how my deal goes.
2: Yeah, I like that about your channel. You know, you, you kind of show a little bit of everything. You might show one of my favorite videos. Um, your snack sticks, man. <laughs> yeah. You might show how to make snack sticks or one of my other favorite videos that you have. Um, your trout dip. Oh, unbelievable, man. So you go from cooking Good. and hunting and fishing, many different things, flatheads and, and walleye and to squirrel hunting and turkey hunting and mushroom hunting. I mean, it's, it's absolutely like, the jack of all things hunting, man. I love it. Thank you.
1: Yeah, that's, that's kind of the goal. And it's gotten to the point where I've gotten to so many different little things that interest me out just in outdoors in general. I've, I've considered making another channel just to have anything else that's not strictly hunting or fishing related, which that's, I haven't even started that, but it's, it's an idea I've been throwing around just to branch off a little bit.
0: Yeah. I've even seen, I know you're the go-to if you ever want to do like, uh, a turkey wing bone call or uh, dipping your gun—I've seen you do those kind of episodes—and um, I think did you dip it or spray paint it. I can't remember. Was it spray paint? paint? Spray paint. Spray yeah.
1: paint and and sponge, uh, sea sponge yep. to do yep. that tree bark pattern. I had that saved for the longest
0: time. I want to do that to my my shotgun. After watching your video, I'm like, man, that just looks too easy.
1: <laughs> it's it is easy. It's a little bit tedious. The prep work, the prep—I hate painting stuff because of all the prep work and everything yeah. but once you get your gun 100% clean and strip down the bare metal put that primer on let it dry 15 minutes put that base coat on then you can just grab that sea sponge and go all bob ross and just you know put a little tree bark here <laughs> and there and, and make it look however you want
0: yeah. <laughs> bob ross reference i love it <laughs> getting back into turkeys you mentioned something there about getting out and listening to them gobble even though it's early. I mean, I would imagine where you're at is the same here. You know, they're still kind of to their their winter roost. Um, they're still in their winter flocks. But I've heard they're you are still mention, flocked up here. Yeah. They are?
1: Okay. I,
0: I, I would figure so.
1: They'll start cow gobbling f- and strutting. Like I saw some the other day driving by a cow pasture. Uh, I saw a whole flock of hens and then a whole flock of jakes and gobblers, and they were all fanned out. So Really? Like yeah. if you want to go out and listen, they're still flocked up. But if you get into a flock on a good morning, they'll be just gobbling like crazy. Some of the best hmm. gobbling you, you'll you hear all year.
0: Yeah. I've also heard you mention, you know, before that, even though this is their winter range or their winter roost, that there's a good chance you still might find turkey in that area, potentially even a gobbler in that area, because it's an area they like come the springtime.
1: Yeah. That's what I've seen just from my personal experience.
0: Yeah. I, which is definitely something that intrigues me because i've seen them in all over my camera recently like as soon as the ice and snow thawed i've had like the same two toms passing by my uh, cell camera every single day since it's just like okay now i kind of have that spot in my mind you know yeah i've also um i guess the other thing too when i was rifle hunting i found a, a new roost spot where i've always assumed they would roost and I hunted in the spring, didn't have any luck, but I was coming through in rifle season in the dead of winter. And sure enough, there was like five or six of them roosted. It's like a big bowl basically off the hillside that falls way down in. And then there's some local houses down at the bottom and like a mm-hmm. filthy grassy area. And I've always figured they would roost off that bowl. It would just pitch off the high point into those trees as they go down the hill. And they were there in the winter, but i mean i don't know is that something you would think then would be worthy just because it it's something that looks right it feels right as a, a roosting spot is that something i should put some time into in the spring and kind of maybe go to the bottom of that hill and listen for them
1: yeah go wherever you can get in and out and just listen for them yeah. you know on a good on a good morning now, they don't gobble good every single morning but if you want to if you think it's worth checking out at least listen for them on the roof see if there's may only be one or two birds in there, but, you know, all you need is one hot gobbler. A lot of times uh, on the ridge country, I hunt with all the little points and stuff. You have satellite birds, and they'll just have this little point or ridge to themselves, and they just kind of hang around there all day because they've had their tail whooped, and they're, you know, they've got their little area where they're safe, where they're not going to get beat up by a dominant bird, but they can still stand up on high ground or down even down in a bottom say and they can try to gobble up a hand so uh, you'll find i mean even if the bulk of the birds aren't in there you may have a satellite gobbler in there it's one of those things you just kind of got to go in during season and see if there's something there
0: okay that's definitely interesting um and i i guess related to the same property as well do you find turkey roosting spots kind of like buck bedding spots do you think uh a good roosting area that so for example i i chased the same bird that roosted off the exact same ridge on the exact same point every single day or every single evening he roosted the same spot last year never ended up killing the bird funny enough had plenty of opportunity but do you think that that bird or another bird will still roost in that same area if it's a good roosting spot
1: a lot of times, yeah, if there's something that keeps them coming back, there's something they like about it, and um I think even if you kill that bird out, there's a chance another gobbler's going to come in and take its place, okay uh, so it's I mean it's there's nothing set in stone with turkeys or with anything for that oh, matter, yeah. so you're just kind of saying in general yeah if if there's always a bird on that point where you always seem to see one on that point. And there's something the birds like about it, and if he gets killed off or something, there, there might be another one there at some point take its place, is what I've noticed. And they do have, you know, preferred roosting areas. You know, the winter flocks have their roosting spots, and then going into early season, you'll still have some using the same spots, and then they'll, they'll spread out and, you know, pick different areas, Like like you were saying, that one point where you have a satellite bird that just stays there. So I don't know how your, your all's buck bedding works. I mean, I'm not really, I wouldn't say I'm an expert in, you know, buck bedding in particular. I I generally look more for just where the deer are, like Mm -hmm. the young bucks, old bucks does whatever. But I guess we're talking about the hill terrain, how bucks will favor a certain spot on a hill or a point or a bench or whatever. Uh, i guess you could say it is somewhat comparable to turkeys
0: yeah the way you described it i would say it is absolutely comparable you know i've heard that they
1: use the same exact spots as deer but that they have tendencies to certain spots like deer have tendencies to certain spots
0: absolutely yeah absolutely and even as you were saying like sometimes you know if that's the favorable area like buck betting is same as a, a good roost area if that's a favorable spot then even though you might kill one out of there in a given time, another one's going to potentially move into that area.
1: Yeah, exactly. I yeah, I'd say it's definitely comparable in that sense.
0: That makes a ton of sense to me, um, for sure. For sure, that that's actually pretty helpful too.
2: So one of the things I wanted to get into, you know, Charles came up with a couple questions going on into like historical data, essentially, as looking forward or looking for turkeys. One of the things I'm kind of interested in. Let's say you pick up a new property. Let's let's use Hill Country as an example. You pick up a new piece, or you find a new piece of public. What's your step-by-step, you know, process as far as breaking it down, doing your turkey scouting, and and utilizing it in the season? Well,
1: I guess um, if it's public, you know, I say I'm looking at it on the map. I'm looking at topo map. I'm looking at the satellite or whatever. See what if it if it's hardwoods, pines, uh, CRP fields, ag fields getting a general look over of the place and then like like we were talking about that video i just did where i went and got into all that turkey sign and i saw two big creeks come together down in the bottom bottom as low as you could go and two big creeks came together and then all the the ridges around them had all these little fingers coming down kind of like spokes coming down to a hub which was where those creeks came together and it was kind of like like a hub for turkeys, I guess. As soon as I got down in there I got into fresh scratch. So I'm looking and at least in hill country, I'm looking for that kind of terrain, at least as a starting
2: Yeah, that makes total sense, man. Are you using the same kind of tactic when you go out of state? I know we mentioned earlier that sometimes you hunt in Alabama, you you hunt Tennessee currently, that's your that's your home state, and sometimes you go to like mix it up, maybe a little Mississippi, you know. Is is your tactic kind of similar in, in Doing an out-of-state oh, hunt, yeah. you're doing a little bit of digital scouting, and then just kind of boots on the ground?
1: Yeah. See, I went up to Minnesota last year in in May, and it was similar country. You know, you had some ag up on top, but it was just hardwood ridges and hollows. And so I just went at it the same way I would go out anywhere else with that kind of terrain, and ended up getting into a bird, you know, a few birds out in the ag field, which was on top of a ridge. But yeah, looking for that mix of habitat, you know, you throw a few, a few fields in there. That's always a, a bonus, but turkeys don't have to have fields. But if there are fields in the area, I always check them out, but looking for where that main creek drainage is and where all the little points or fingers, whatever you want to call them, kind of come together into like a central location, which usually happens where two creeks come together. Yeah. That's a, it's a good starting point and it doesn't matter if I'm Minnesota or in uh alabama or whatever if it's that same kind of habitat then i'm going to approach it the same way
0: i can attest to that too i know that watching that video today the type of terrain in that area you were in is almost identical to the area when i went down and hunted public land in ohio and Mm -hmm. sure enough there were birds all in that spot it was the same thing there was like two or three ridges they all came down into a little flat area that was relatively pretty open. And then, of course, there was even a little creek that ran through there. I mean, it was absolutely gorgeous. It was almost identical to what you were showing. And, and sure enough, we got birds roosted there and, and you know, almost got one killed there too. So I can yeah. definitely test it works.
1: For sure. It's a great starting place, especially early in the season. Uh, you know, you may have satellite birds like Gobblers that are off on their own may be in the most random spot where you wouldn't expect one. So I wouldn't say, I wouldn't tell someone to only look for those hubs. I would say that's when you're checking out a new area, start in the most obvious spot that looks turkey, like Mm -hmm. like those hubs where those ridges come together in the creek. And then start there. And if you find sign, mark it on the map or just remember it. And, you know, if you don't get into anything gobbling or whatever, then keep that spot in mind and start checking out other areas check out other ridges or whatever so I wouldn't be dead set on it but it's it's definitely a, a good way to hone in on a new spot
2: yeah no I'm right there with you bud so another thing I wanted to kind of get into you know I'm kind of jumping around here a little bit but one of the things that I really like and Charles mentioned it earlier was your wing bone calls you know I really like the idea of that kind of suction call and you know you've done countless videos with them I mean calling and birds everything what kind of got you into making those, and what kind of got you into them initially calling with them
1: so I just like I like making stuff I've always have, even if it turns out being useless. I like to build my own you know rather than go out and buy it if it's makes sense to do that, so I guess I had heard about it online some Native American call made from turkey wings, and I thought it sounded cool. So I was like, well, I, I like making stuff, so I'm going to give this a shot, see if I can make it work. So I made a couple back in 2013, I think, and my first one was like a two-piece, and then I made a three-piece, and I liked the way it sounded a little bit better. But I just got to practicing on it and realized it sounded halfway decent, and then hunted with it a few times, and turkey started responding to it. So I just was like, this is cool. I'll keep hunting with it. I don't think it's like a better call than anything else. Uh, it has a particular sound to it that can get stubborn bird to gobble if he's not answering anything else. But across the board, I don't think it's like any better of a call. In fact, you can't make half the vocalizations that you can on a slate call, but it's got a, it's got a sweet sound to it that I like. I think it's pretty cool. So I've just stuck with it, always carry one.
0: I've tried and tried. I, I actually had a buddy make one for me. Well, it was, it was his friend that knew how to do it. So I gave him a couple of wings and he made me a couple of calls and I tried on that thing and I got okay at it. I was definitely nowhere near as good as you were, but it has a very unique sound that I think would, uh, set you apart from anybody, everybody else out there using, you know, your normal primos or, you know, store bought Walmart calls.
1: Yeah. And it, the sound, the, the good sound of it is really from a distance, how it rings out in the woods, like, if I, like, up close, it kind of doesn't sound as good, but then when you hear it from a distance, it kind of, it's got, like, the voice of a hen almost. It's got a little bit of a ring to it.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's pretty neat. Uh So if we didn't really mention it, but I guess the, the common theme of our episode today is going to be, you know, hill country. Catman lives and spends a lot of his time hunting in Tennessee, and a lot of the stuff is very uh, relative to what we see. So, I mean, what is your... um I guess, what is your preseason and in-season scouting kind of look like? Because I, I know, I don't know if we've actually mentioned the two videos that you've recently dropped, like your scouting hill country video, your how to find turkeys in hill country videos. Um, if you guys want to set, go over to Catman Outdoors and check those two out. But what does that change or how does that change when you're in-season? Do you do a lot of in-season scouting or is it more hunting and then you scout as you hunt?
1: No, I scout as I hunt. I'm not going to, I mean, if I'm, if it's season, if season's open and I've, and I'm not at work or doing some other obligation, I'm hunting. I've got a shotgun with me and a call. So I may scout as I hunt if it's an unfamiliar area. But uh, before season, I do, uh, I mainly scout like what I have been doing, learning some new ground just scouting to get familiar with an area and decide if it's worth going to during season. And then as we get closer to season, I'll go out just to listen just because I like to hear them. Sure. Um, but then going in season, I'll do a little bit of hunting the familiar spots where I know where the birds like to hang out anyways. And then I'll do a little bit of hunting the new spots, uh, some of which I scouted earlier. So I don't think scouting is absolutely necessary, but it sure helps.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it helps that they make a, a really loud noise and kind of tell you where they're at too. Sometimes.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's the thing is I've killed a bunch of birds that I, you know, walked into a spot for the first time and struck one up. So yeah, you, uh, you really don't. I mean, if you have a map, I guess that's kind of you could say that's kind of scouting, like looking at the ridges on a map. Sure. But as far sure. as physically scouting, I've killed a bunch of birds in places I'd never physically set foot in before.
0: Yeah. With us, it's a little tougher where, you know, our first half of the season, the first two weeks, you're only allowed to hunt till noon. And then, yeah. you know, you got to get the heck out of the woods pretty much. So if, I mean, I guess we have more opportunity to do some afternoon scouting, which I find myself, you know, driving around a lot, just kind of checking fields or and doing that kind of scouting in the afternoons. And then we're not allowed to hunt on Sundays. So sometimes every once in a while, if I want to find a new place, I might head out on a Sunday and, and give it a little walk. But I would agree yeah. with you. I mean, it's best to kind of get out there, listen, pay attention and, and go as, as it goes.
1: See, you all got a whole different scenario there. You can't hunt Sundays or past noon. So you have time during season to scout when you can't hunt. Right. If I'm, if I'm hunting my own state and I've got all day to hunt all season, I'm not going to waste time not hunting, you know? Sure. But, you know, I, I've hunted a spot in. Alabama before that closed at 1 PM every day. Mm -hmm. And so I left my gun in the truck and started, like you said, driving around scouting. Ended up getting into some wild hogs, not too far from the truck, ran back to the truck, left all my turkey calls. So, you know, it didn't look like I was turkey hunting, grabbed my shotgun and snuck up on these pigs and they winded me right before I got a shot. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man it was that's the only time i can really say i've gone out and scouted during the season because i couldn't hunt because it closed at one
2: yeah yeah that cutoff can be really tough man i can't, I can't tell you how many times we've been out and you know you don't strike a bird until eleven fifty or something like that and you got 10 minutes to get it done and it just does not end up happening then you gotta leave a goblin bird and it's it's a heartbreaker man yeah
1: that's that'd be frustrating i've one of my best birds I've ever killed, I, I stuck with him for three hours because he was hand up and I killed him. I think it was about 1230 or so. So ma- imagine sitting with a bird for two and a half hours, big old dominant bird. And then half an hour before he would have showed up, you'd already been out of the woods.
0: Yep. Yep. Oh, I'm sure that happens to us all the time. I mean, our, our magical hour, it seems is like, uh, 11 to noon <laughs> and i've had to leave oh yeah you know one time i remember probably one of my better hunts where i didn't kill a bird there was four different birds gobbling and they were all coming in from different directions and it was like eleven fifty, and sure enough noon hit we had to leave the woods on four gobbling birds you know that was heartbreaking man we did end up going back the next week and killing one of those so i i, I feel like we got a little bit of
1: revenge yeah that no, there's no doubt that law saves a lot of birds, which if the numbers are down, it's not a bad thing, but dang, that's yeah. frustrating. <laughs> they should, they should bump it back to two o'clock. Yeah. Usually that, that two to four is usually not a whole lot going on. It's cause there's a still a lot of birds, like lonely midday birds that go from 12 to one, sometimes up to two o'clock. That's, yeah. that's frustrating.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even like West Virginia near us is one o'clock. I would take one o'clock even, yeah. you know, that would, that would be even a little better. Any, any little more time we could get would be nice. And in the second half of the season, you can hunt all day. They, they do okay. open it up uh for the last two weeks. You can hunt sun up to sundown. So that, that helps a little bit. But I did have another question for you though, I guess sticking with the scouting perspective, because I know you spent some time and you've hunted with the hunting public guys. And it seems like when they do some of their out-of-state hunts, a lot of times you'll see maybe the first day, day and a half, they'll do a lot of scouting. Like, they're going to really yeah. scour an area. Um And they've even, like, marked birds where they'll hit another, they'll leave them, hit another spot, hit another spot, and then you'll see they'll come back on that same trip and, and hunt oh, yeah. that bird.
1: I'll do that even if I don't have time to spend a day scouting, which I would like to ideally with when I make a trip, I would ideally like to spend a whole day scouting, but a lot of times I'm working with limited amount of days, so I as I hunt, you know, if I hear a bird, I'm remembering where he's at, even if nothing yeah. ever comes of it. He's probably not gonna go far. And if the hunting's really tough, I may come back to him and see if he's fired up.
0: Okay. That makes sense. Okay. So I kind of got a scenario then because it's related, I guess, to your Minnesota hunt that I recently watched. You know, around here, we see a lot of, like we mentioned before the call, like there's a lot of wooded areas where the woods are public. I guess it's a little different in your situation, but the woods will be public and then the fields will be private. I mean, that happens here like a lot yeah we
1: have that a lot here in tennessee as well okay okay
0: so you can relate
1: i've called i've passed up birds that were just across the fence in a private field i've had birds hang up in those private fields and then i've got lucky a few times and called them across but that we that's pretty big around here as well
0: yeah i guess the question would be then do you have any uh any tactics or uh, experiences you can share on how you got them out of the field? Because sometimes them field birds can be pretty stubborn.
1: Drop back a little ways. Don't be right up on the edge of the field. Okay. And, and sometimes they're going to be stubborn no matter what. Especially late in the season if they've been hunted a lot and a lot of the dumber, easier birds have been killed. Uh, some of the more wary birds, you know, they learn where where they're safe. So Either that, or they've just got everything they want and don't have a reason to come into the woods, even if it, if it's not for pressure. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it, it. Sometimes it's about catching them in the right mood, and sometimes they're just like never seem to be in the right mood. But mm-hmm. you get you get a bird that's in the right mood set back to where he's got to come across the property line to even see where you're at. Not so far back that he's not going to be, you know, be interested in your calling. Like you want him to be able to hear you, but get back there. Like if you're on a ridge where it kind of dips back a little bit, get back to where you can't even see the field. Like you know he's out there, but you don't want to even see where he is and see if you can call him, and get his curiosity peak. And if there's a woven wire fence on the property line, he's not. Like, just start walking the fence and try to find a gap in it because, like. Ninety-nine times out of a hundred, a gobbler gets hung up on a woven wire fence.
0: Yeah, it's wild. It's wild. We've we've mentioned that before. I mean, they're so stupid sometimes that they're dumb. <laughs> the <laughs> same fence that they might have crossed a hundred times in the winter, come springtime, they they just don't know how to cross it. All of a
1: sudden, it's it's those woven wire fences. They they're capable of jumping and flying over it, but they won't. They don't understand that they can do that. Uh, if it's like a like a four panel wooden fence like we see on those nice horse farms, yeah, I've seen them fly up and land on it, just sit there and preen. But the woven wire, they just get all messed up about it. Barbed wire, like stranded barbed wire, they'll go between the strands. You know, they'll duck under and go through. But those square woven wire fences, they they just don't know what to make of them, and they don't realize that they can just fly over it in two seconds. Yeah. Just pace back and forth until they get bored and leave. Yeah.
0: So without offense, say you got one, it's just really stubborn, really hanging up. Do you like to kind of wait them out? Maybe give them the silent treatment or if you've waited long enough, do you move on, mark the bird and try to come back another day and catch them in the
1: right mood? I'll give them some time at least. You know, i I'll, yeah. I'll go quiet for a while. And if nothing happens after a while, I may fire up, try to get him fired up. But, uh, you know, I'm not going to spend more than one day on a bird like that. I'm going to go somewhere else. If he's that stubborn and say he's out in a cow pasture, something something about cow pastures, they're real particular, too. They've got everything they need right there. You yep. know, they got a lot of times the farmers feed the cows, too. But um, they got everything they could want in, the, in a cow pasture. And if if... I'm spending two, three hours with a bird and he's not showing the slightest bit of interest. What really gets me is when you see a gobbler or sometimes more than one that don't have any hands and they're just pecking around the field, you know, they've got to be in the mood at some point, but it's like they'll, even if they do fire up, sometimes in some circumstances, they won't, they just won't commit and they stay out in the field
0: seen that a million times it seems like when you get even sometimes there'll be two of them two gobblers out there all by themselves middle of the field feeding across <clears throat> you're thinking this is going to be the moment you go out run in set up on them start calling they don't even look your way sometimes i mean they just keep going
1: <laughs> sometimes i'll gobble at you and sometimes they won't even look you might yeah. get a courtesy gobble <laughs> but they gotta be in, i mean like you said, is it worth going back? If that's the only birds you've got to hunt, then yeah, it's worth going back because they might change the mood at some point. Sure. But uh if I know other places that I could probably get on a bird, I'm not going to waste time with a bird like that.
0: Okay. Makes sense. Got anything, Austin? On, uh, like, I want to switch over to maybe terrain. Yeah, um, I like terrain. Okay. So a lot of videos that I've seen of yours, I mean, i i would like to put a percentage to it, it's high. A lot of the birds you kill, a lot of the places you hunt, obviously with the hills, a lot of times you're just seeing like a head of the Mm -hmm. bird and you're blasting it, right? So how are you using the terrain to your advantage in a lot of these scenarios?
1: Just like that to where I see his head, he can see me. I want him to get close enough to where I can usually hear him coming, you know, walking in the leaves, but even if not, I want to set up just over the rise or just around the corner from something. Even if it's a thicket, even if if it's like thicker undergrowth in one spot to put between me and the bird, I want him coming in close before he can even get his eyeballs on wherever I'm sitting. Not that he's going to necessarily see me. If I'm well hidden, he might not see me, but he's not going to see a hand. And a lot of times I get nervous and kind of tuck their wings and go the other way. So I'm setting up something between me and the bird and a lot of times in hill country, it's, it's the rise of a ridge top.
0: Yeah. Do you also pay attention and pick those areas to call from because they're natural spots where hens
1: will naturally call from? Is that why you're using those areas as well? Do you think that's effective? No, I mean, if, if I'm setting up like that, I've already got a bird gobbling. So I mean, okay. it doesn't matter where a hen's calling from because he's already interested in me. Like say I, Last year, I was on top of a ridge and struck a bird way across the hollow on another ridge on another property, so I couldn't move closer to him. So my only option was to drop back off the ridge where he couldn't see until he was on top of the ridge in shotgun range. And so that's the only reason I set up there is because he was already answering me, and I needed to put something between me and him where he would come into shotgun range, and he did. He, got, I, he was 20 yards tops when I shot him. There is one risk I would say, uh, if you're not allowed to shoot Jake's in your state, or if you don't want to shoot a Jake, it can be risky shooting a head. I mean, obviously if he's gobbling and a big red and white head pops up, it's not a hen, but you still want to be careful, uh, yeah. if you don't want to shoot a Jake or if you can't. I actually shot a Jake last year because he had a big deep gobble, like a, like a long beard. And it was just two Jake's. They just had a, had a little bit better gobble to them, which, I mean, I'm not sorry for it, but that's something you need to keep in mind if you're picky about what
2: you shoot. Yeah, that was yes. actually going to be uh, that was going to be my next question because I heard you actually tell that story um, today. I was listening to the episode with Chasing Tails' Walter Lee, and you told that yeah. story about shooting that Jake. You thought maybe that it was the gobbler when you saw the other Jake fly off, and uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, we're we're fortunate enough we're in a state where our regulations in the spring are a bearded bird. So, we can shoot jakes and, you know, we can shoot a bearded hen if that really fits your fancy, you know, either way, but,
0: yeah. Yeah, I want to know, because I guess your opinions maybe changed on that over the years as well, I mean, where you stand on shooting jakes? I mean,
1: it depends on, I, I think, I'm not against it, but if the population was hurting, or if there was too many people hunting, I would not be against it being illegal either, but, if, if it would save a few birds on some of the areas that don't have many birds or get hunted way too much, I wouldn't be against them outlawing long jakes, but I'm kind of neutral on it, really. I don't, I don't really have a really well-defined opinion on it. I think, you know, if you're, if you've killed a bunch of turkeys and you're just going and shoot the first thing you see, then I mean, it's not that impressive, but still it's, it's your tag to burn. They, they still taste good.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's like, what I'm about,
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly, but uh, me personally, like I don't expect other people to follow my personal standards. I would rather not shoot a Jake myself, but I will on occasion, like last year was an accident, but I took that risk, knowing you know I can't see his beard when I shoot, so every now and again, I may shoot a Jake, but i, I generally try not to, like I've called him jake's i uh, have Jake's every year, last year, I had some in close. Just having Bird, just having a Jake, he can be standing there at 10 yards just staring at me, and I'm not even going to pick up the gun.
2: Yeah. No, I'm right there with you, man. I mean, I feel like everybody who turkey hunts, they want to kill a long beard every time. You know, that's kind of the goal. But, you know, there's some times you have those seasons where they're just winning every time. (laughs) And, you know, I'm just too much of a fan of nuggets, man. (laughs) Was it
1: 2017, maybe? A few years ago, I had one of those seasons. We got a six-week-long season, and it was dead middle, like, after the third week, start of the fourth week. Dead middle of the season, I still hadn't killed one. It was one thing or another. You know, I was getting on some birds, but they weren't being very talkative most days, and I was getting frustrated. So, me and a buddy... Uh, we're riding to check out the spot he had permission to hunt, which is since sold. So we can't hunt it anymore, but it's just a field next to the road pretty much. And, um, we pulled in off of this like back road and came in next to like the barn or whatever. And we went, peeked out there and there was a bunch of jakes. So we, um I was like, you know, I don't want to shoot Jake, but I've been having a pretty tough season. So if we can get him to come in then I'm going to shoot one. So I we ended up, I ended up shooting one. It was the biggest jake I ever shot, but it was like you said, out of frustration where the season is just not going well.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm right there with you, man. And, you know, I kind of, I kind of see your point too. I mean, I don't kind of see your point. I do see your point too. You know, if you're if your area is hurting for birds and, you know, probably not the best idea to shoot a bunch of jakes, but. If you're in an area where there's multiple tags, you know, your biologists are, are setting those tag limits for a reason. It's your tag to burn. If if you want to shoot a jake, you know, I'm all for it, man. Yeah. yeah, I
1: don't have anything against it. I wouldn't, I mean, in some instances I wouldn't be against outlawing jakes, but that doesn't mean I'm against people shooting them, you know. It's yeah. just one of the things. You can't, you can't paint turkey management with the same brush. It's different like from one place to the next, and yeah, everyone's got and hunters too, you can't say all hunters are have, should have the same goals. everyone's got a little bit different goals when they go in the woods,
2: yeah, and that kind of goes on year to year too, depending on the hatch from year to year, they might have a bad hatch one year, lower those limits, man, yeah. you know, if they have a great hatch, you know i don't have a I don't have a problem raising the limits too I'm I cool wish they
1: would I wish they would jump on limits that quick around here, you know, if there was a pretty bad hatch like that everybody knew about. I wish they would cut it back for a year or two, but uh, they actually just went this year from four to three birds in Tennessee because there are some areas that have seen decline. In some areas, a lot of a lot of areas are doing fine, but they've seen enough decline and people are were talking about it enough that they've cut from four back to three, which I guess is a step in the right direction. I don't think it'll do a whole, a whole lot for the big picture, but they're doing something about it. So yeah. I guess that's a plus. Pennsylvania a little
0: bit here, too. They're uh, I mean, they're they're mostly they haven't really done anything with spring gobbler. Our state is one bird and then you can get a bonus tag before the season. You have to purchase it prior to the first day of the season or else you don't get the bonus tag. But they've been making regulations and Pennsylvania. They have meetings annually where they can set their the seasons. They can set limits. They can change a lot of stuff.
1: They do uh, that I, here, too, annually. Okay. They'll have the annual meeting. They're just a little bit slow to respond to turkey you know, turkey data and yeah. bag limits. They're a little bit slow to do anything on that. But, but yeah, they we have the same thing, the annual yeah. meetings.
0: The one thing they've been really cutting back here on is our fall turkey season. They've actually taken away the uh, three-day shotgun season, and that's right around Thanksgiving in our specific area they've taken uh, they've actually taken away in a few different wmas that uh, are local to us so and that i mean i guess because in the fall you can shoot either sex as well yeah uh, so they you know.
1: they've done something similar here they when i started hunting fall season fall season still the same it's the last 2 weeks in october so it's a two week shotgun season and you can kill uh with a bow during deer archery season as well Um, but the fall shotgun seasons last two weeks in October, as long as I've been hunting and it goes, bag limits go by County. So some counties have always been closed as long as I know, but the counties with good bird numbers used to have a limit of one, two or three or up to six. I think it was like one, three and six or one, two, three, six, depending on the County. So like, Some of the areas I hunted that had a lot of birds. The fall limit was six birds, either sex. So you could kill six hens, six jakes, Jake bolts, six toms, whatever. Oh man! And then you could go, you could go to the next county and kill six more if you wanted to. Jeez. So
0: the thing is,
1: they got away with that for a while because not a lot of people fall turkey hunt here. So if there was a hurting being put on the population, it was something locally where one or two guys maybe went a little too hard on the birds. But uh, across the board, it, it was, it's just never been popular to fall turkey hunt. So when they started seeing the decline in the past few years and seeing more people talk about it, they went from up to six birds back to only one bird per county in the counties that are open. So there's one bird either sex and then. What was this now? Just a, I want to say a couple of years ago, maybe they, they changed it to one bearded bird per county that's open during the fall season. So I could still kill multiple birds in the fall, but one per county has got to have a beard now.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. They've, they've definitely made some moves. I think they've even taken away the regulation that, um, you know, you could hunt in the fall months with a rifle. And I think they've pulled back on that as well in some areas, if not all. I'm trying to think if they maybe were trying to do that for this year where they were eliminating rifle hunting for Turkey altogether, which I thought was insane that anybody even tried to do that. But it's yeah, funny. But we that, don't have
1: that down here. Yeah, Somebody, yeah, too yeah. many people get shot around here. <laughs> Could you imagine? Right. I mean
0: <laughs>
1: I, I never knew like
0: fall turkey in Pennsylvania was a huge thing. I've I've recently got really? friends. Yeah. It's it's like a giant, giant. Until they try to start taking that season away and limiting it uh that's when all the voices were starting to be spoken on it and i didn't grow up that way so i was completely ignorant to it but a good friend of mine runs an actual turkey dog in the fall and uh, he does really well with the dog and i it really enjoys it And he was pretty upset about it as well
1: yeah so see, i think i think fall turkey hunting wasn't popular enough down here which there's always a few people who do it but I think it had minimal impact. If you looked at the harvest numbers compared to spring, it just really wasn't that much Yeah, killed in the fall. But, I mean, when you do see a decline in a lot of areas, you want to do something to cut back on limits. Sure. So I get fall limits, because you could kill hens in the past, I guess that was the first place to go is cut back on killing the hens. Yep. But, I mean, I don't know what the future holds. But I think if they want to make a difference on harvest on – not killing too many toms they're gonna have to cut it down below three but i miss killing my four birds so i'm not you know it's kind of a tough place where you want to kill multiple birds but sometimes if the if the numbers get low enough you you might have to do what you got to do yeah but I've, I've seen enough places with good turkey numbers i don't i mean i think they would almost have to manage it by units like they do for deer yeah sure it I makes can- sense too
2: yeah, I got to be honest, man. I don't even know what it's like killing three birds. That's <laughs> let alone four. <laughs> yeah, can, oh, we're, we're gonna have get a get
1: long in. season if it's, if it's going tough. I'll, I'll say that. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. we're definitely gonna get into your season last year because you laid down six birds, which is pretty impressive in three different states. There's just one more topic I want get, to get some of this tactic stuff out of the way uh, decoys decoys that's always a big hot topic you know especially decoys in hill country do you use them do you not use them that's kind of probably the biggest part of the first part of the question
1: i've never owned one really okay (laughs) um i've never i mean i'm not i'm not against them i will say this now talk about controversial hot topic i i'm not saying i'm for this but i say if you've got bird numbers, bird populations that's struggling and you wanna cut back on the harvest without cutting back on the bag limit, get rid of decoys and fanning, which some states already don't allow fanning, but get we rid of don't. decoys. We can still use a fan down here, uh Alabama outlawed it it it's it's a safety thing I think. But a lot of birds wouldn't a lot of birds would live to see another day and see another season if there were no decoys hit in the woods. So I'm not saying I'm against it, but I'm saying if you want to cut back on the harvest without cutting back on the limits, then everyone could still kill the same limit, but less birds would be killed because a lot of people rely on decoys. So I've never used them because it just doesn't do it for me. Um, I've used the fan a couple of times just to try it out. And um I've hunted with people who use decoys and I don't really have anything against it. It's just it, it doesn't really do it for me most of the time. Yeah, yeah. We are not
0: allowed to actually stalk the bird. Actually, actually we're not allowed to stalk the bird at all in Pennsylvania.
1: I remember reading that. I looked up, uh looked into Pennsylvania regulations several years ago, and I thought that was the weirdest thing. You couldn't even yeah, sneak up on when you
0: had weirdest gobble. thing in the world. I, I've known guys that have literally been written up just for they had a bird gobbling and they crossed just like a little roadway to the other side of it of the woods. Just to get a better setup, and they've been written up by the game commission just for doing that. Now that that point, though,
1: I believe I'd be fighting that up. one in court. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's <laughs> setting up on a bird to call him in is not stalking. Yeah, exactly. I'd be fighting that one. I'd have a lawyer yeah. on that. That's I, I a, that's say, a weird law. That I've seen they, some interesting yeah. regulations up that way. Just from what yeah. I'm I
0: I want to say there was more to that story. I. I actually believe it had something to do with the fall. We used to have fall orange regulations, where you had to wear orange uh, whenever you were moving. And I think it had something to do with it. He wasn't wearing his orange hat, even though he only moved mm. about ten feet. But I, but I'm not. That was a really long time ago. But
1: we are always something like that, where they've got something else on the guy, and they're using that yep. BS ticket as an excuse just to get him because they know he's up to something. Else i'm that's sure i've heard of stuff like
0: that <laughs> i'm sure of it i'm sure of it but yeah uh we do use decoys i know austin and i both have used them but uh, i think there's also a, a time and place for them that's why i was kind of going into that i've never seen you use them i've never seen them on your videos that's why i was wondering but yeah you know i'm not against or for them either i i like to chase them without decoys i like to chase especially in hill country because there's a lot of times you can use the terrain to your advantage where you don't really need a decoy as well. Yeah,
1: yeah cool. and honestly, what the decoy does more than anything is keeps him from looking at you and spooking, gives him something as a distraction. Yeah. You can still call him into range with or without a decoy, but if he's got a decoy to focus on, you can get your gun up and shoot him a lot easier than if yeah. he's looking straight at you in the eye because he doesn't see a hand or anything. Yeah. No, yeah. But I, like, I like it. I like it when just me versus the gobbler is is the way I've always liked it. Where I I'm calling him to me and shooting him before he busts me. That, that's always what's got me so fired up about it.
2: Yeah. 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 I feel like it's highly situational around here. I know uh moving forward when I hunt on public land I'm definitely not taking decoys with me. This past season, uh I had a setup and I actually had someone come in on me and I, I i almost got shot it was actually pretty scary but yeah moving forward i'm definitely not taking decoys with me on public land around here that's for sure
1: yeah you'll see people do crazy stuff like that sometimes on on public yeah i mean it's just a personal preference thing for me i just don't really care to not not just the way because of the way i hunt but i don't want to carry a decoy with me i pack i don't i've never even worn a vest in the woods i try to pack light i carry my shotgun over my shoulder and my camera and tripod in one hand and have you know i got cargo pockets and stuff for my calls and and snacks and stuff yeah Uh, i just try to keep it light i don't want to carry a decoy around i don't want to just don't
2: really want to fool with it it's not
1: how i've really hunted
2: lean and me man i like it so we've gone through a little bit of the tactical stuff that's kind of uh chuck's side of the room but you know i'm kind of more for the (laughs) stories man (laughs) you know i want to hear about your last season you know chuck mentioned it before it was a great season you know let's kind of get into it we don't have to go the whole nitty-gritty but i kind of want to go from start to finish a little bit
1: so we had the lockdown and everything last year right around the start of turkey season and everyone's out of work i expected it to be like miserable with the amount of people which to an extent it was uh so i had didn't have high hopes i was just going to try my best to get on some birds before other people did and hopefully find something to myself so i got there opening morning i actually were working the previous week or two i i had a couple buddies who were scouting some public uh and saw people scouting out all week long because they were off work and i was like man this doesn't look good too there's gonna be too many people and not enough land so opening day comes or no sorry day before opening day i go to one of my good spots and i get up on this ridge and roosted a whole flock with some gobblers jakes hens, everything and nobody was out there roosting which i was kind of surprised but i knew somebody would be there in the morning so I get out there at like 3.15 in the morning, and I passed a truck right down the road from my spot. It was already parked there. So I was like, yeah, this is going to be pretty bad. I hope nobody walks in on me. So long story short, I didn't get close enough to the roost, didn't get a shot right off the bat. Later on in the morning, those birds were down in the bottom by now. Four guys came in on me, but I was halfway down the point. So I just dropped in the bottom and got between them and the turkeys and killed one. But they parked They parked right on me, like one guy right in front of my truck and one guy right across the street. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to go to another spot. And um I took the boat and hit a spot I hadn't been to in a while. It's been a few years since I've been there. And opening day, evening, this was the same day, opening day, evening, I got out there, roosted two hens that got into a fight, never heard a gobble. Next morning, second day season, didn't hear a thing on the roost. Nothing at all. Same spot. I thought maybe there was, might be a goblin with those hands. Didn't even hear them. So I start prospecting and end up striking that bird we talked about earlier where I had to drop off the ridge because of the property line and had to have him come over top of the ridge and just shot him as soon as I saw his head. And then, then it was the day after that, maybe. Yeah, it was the day after that. This is when I killed that Jake on another ridge. And, uh, that was like before sunrise. Legal shooting hours start here half an hour before sunrise and end at sunset. Yep. So sun hadn't even come up yet. He came off the roost or those two Jakes came off the roost and hopped right up 10 yards from me, five yards maybe. So I already killed three out of my four birds like, or no two, sorry, it was two out of my three birds. No, I'm, I'm losing track here. I'm thinking of <laughs> Alabama three out of my four birds. I already killed four birds. Cause I had one in Alabama. I, I skipped past Alabama and, um, so I already killed three out of my four Tennessee birds. And then, you know, a week, week and a half goes by. I hunted a couple other spots. I went to one spot that's just always overrun with people. It's, uh, it was nuts and, and half the people were fishing because it was by some water by a creek or something. And just the amount of people out there was insane. So I left and then I ended up taking the boat back out to another spot, start prospecting. April 14th, I tagged out and it was a pretty slow morning. Uh, but I ended up getting on this one satellite bird that was quiet for like almost an hour. And on my way back to the boat, I struck him up and he was right down the ridge i had been sitting on the whole time. So he went from completely quiet, nothing happening to all of a sudden he's in the mood and he was dead in five minutes.
2: Wow. Wow. Yeah. There's nothing yeah. wrong with that, man. Those kind of setups are just magic sometimes.
1: Yeah. And, and half of those birds I killed, I was picking mushrooms along the way so i had morels and turkeys i was pulling out of the woods it was it was a really good season it was a lot better than i thought it would be with all the amount of people off work and everything yeah uh, i couldn't believe how well it went so
2: yeah kind I'm of hoping off topic. for a half
1: half as good of a season this year
2: hey i don't blame <laughs> you man i mean that's kind of hard to beat right there but you know kind of off topic i don't want to ruin <clears throat> anything for anybody but you know Let's talk about mushroom hunting a little bit. I mean, I love morels. We do uh, kind of a little bit different mushroom hunting in the fall here for sheep's head and stuff. But you know, we have some pretty good morel spots if you know what you're looking for. I don't want any of your secret spots or anything like that. But do you have kind of a common theme where you find morels in the spring? I know around here we kind of look for old dead elms.
1: The only common theme I've seen is some of the bigger patches, and not bigger mushrooms, but bigger numbers of mushrooms I've seen were in groves of tulip poplar and i don't know if that's coincidence or if it's because the leaf litter is more matted down and you can see them better i've always heard you know dead elms or we we got emerald ash borer now all the ash trees are dying
2: yep and someone
1: told me someone told me that that was a really good place to find mushrooms so last year i checked a bunch of dying ash trees and didn't didn't find one (laughs) but then sometimes i do find them in those textbook spots and one of my best patches of, of big mushrooms, like biggest I've ever picked, is in a Chinese privet hedgerow on the edge of a field, and the only reason I found it is I saw birds, I saw turkeys in the field, and I ducked back into the bushes so they wouldn't see me, and I stumbled into all these giant morels. Oh, so, man. You <laughs> just <laughs> never know. And I've, I found them in cedar, like cedar glades. Um uh, under cedar trees i found them in weird places i've been in places that looked prime like where i would normally find them and never found anything uh there's no rhyme or reason at least around here i think in the midwest they say you know dead elm trees yeah but maybe they're different in different regions of the country but around here there's really no rhyme or reason
2: i feel like that's kind of one of those things that it, it it can be kind of gimmicky when you hear, like, the hot tips for finding morels. You know, they're always around the the dead elms and stuff like that. Most guys, you know, when they have a good mushroom spot, you know, they keep it as secret as their best whitetail spot. You know, they're not trying to <laughs> let anybody find those spots. And, you know, sometimes you hear, like, y- you heard earlier, that the ash trees, the dead ash trees. And you went and checked it out and there was nothing, you know. It can be kind of gimmicky and you feel like sometimes guys tell you tips that just kind of throw you off. It's almost like yeah. uh, shed hunting, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, like same thing. I think
1: I think sometimes people do find them in those spots, and they've had good luck. But so they think it's always going to be a hot spot. But then I go look at another, you know, patch of elm or ash trees, and I don't find anything. So it's like it's nothing set in stone, and, you know, you just gotta. The only thing set in stone is. You gotta spend some amount of time looking for them and it may, you may look into them quick or you may be looking for a long time before you find them. But once you start getting an eye for them, they're real hard to spot is the other thing. There's no telling how many I've walked past. I never knew they were there.
0: Yeah. I've yet to find my first morel. Uh, I've still never found one. My own father won't even tell me where his morel mushroom spot is.
1: <laughs> wow. <laughs> he's, he's hardcore right there.
0: Yeah, he has one spot up our camp he goes to every year uh, that he just crushes them. That usually goes like middle of the week when we're all working. He'll go up there and say he's cutting the grass or whatever. But really, he's just going up and finding a bunch of mushrooms. But I do get to eat them, so I can't complain, right? This is That's a good point. As long (laughs) as you get to eat them. (laughs) (laughs) But but wasn't it? apple trees too that I hear under like apple trees was another place or does that
1: I, I've heard, I've heard that. I think I don't remember where, but I think I've heard. That yeah.
0: Too. Yeah, it, it is. It's a lot like shed hunting. Like, you know, you have your people tell you your set spots where you'll, that's where you look. Right. And I think what yeah. it does is it's not a guarantee, but it might raise your odds if you know what you're yeah, looking for. I
1: would for. say Something about the ash trees. I've never found a big patch specifically on ash trees, but I have found like two, three, maybe five or six yellow morels around the base of an ash tree in multiple different places. And, you know, you may look at 50 ash trees and not find that, but then you'll just find like a couple of good mushrooms at the base of an ash tree. I'm not sure why that is.
0: Yeah. Leatherwood Outdoors, I believe he was the one that um, said, you know, he finds it best when the bark is starting to peel away from the trees, you know, when that bark's yeah. falling off the trees.
1: So. We've got that here with the ash borers, and I'll be looking again this year. My, my opinion may change as I look at more dying trees because more of them die every year now. Um, yeah, we're out
0: of them, man. They've killed all of so. them up here pretty much. You can't yeah, it find sucks.
1: it. It uh, sucks. We've got so many ash trees and you won't be able to not see it. If you're looking at the landscape during the summer, there'll be so many dead tree tops because we got so many ash trees. But they're, I mean, it's, there's still a lot living. I'd say there's, there's still a lot more living than not living around here. But even on this place I live on now, uh, you look up on top of the ridge during the summer, I noticed last summer there's a bunch of dead treetops and I walked up there back during deer season. And I realized there's a whole bunch of ash trees up in there and like there's still like at least half of them are halfway alive, but they're dying out pretty quick and it just spreads more every year.
0: Yep. Yep. That's what they tell you You don't travel with firewood and all that good stuff. But I mean, they hit us hard years and years back and you drive around the neighborhood now and then pretty much 90% of the dead trees you see are ash trees and they're just giant big yeah, make mean, good firewood,
1: but... Really good. Know, I was going to yeah. say, I'm trying to find a way to get up in that hill. It's in a nasty cedar thicket. I'm trying to find a way to get up in that hill and get wood back out of the woods without too much of a hassle because there's going to be a bunch of good firewood up there.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just burn it locally.
1: I'm not going to carry it with me anymore.
0: <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Same here. You know, keep it for at the house and stuff like that.
2: Yeah. No, I'm yeah. right there with you, man. Now, we are getting closer on time, but one thing that we love to do with all of our guests, now, it's typically your favorite hunting story, you know, we've heard a couple of your turkey hunting stories, but, you know, the turkey vibe's good, but I want to hear your favorite hunting story of of all time, whether it be a turkey story, a deer story, maybe your, your first hunt ever. We like to spring this on, guys. We think it's a little bit more genuine when we don't let you think about it ahead of time.
1: Well, I'll be honest, I don't think I could... Pick one favorite. I, there's a few popping into my head now. Well, I'd say I'll, I can't pick a favorite. I'll go most memorable. Which is okay. my first, first deer and first turkey. I like it. And I was telling turkey stories, so I'll just talk about my first deer's opening day gun season in 2012. A buddy of mine had, had, uh, lent me his 3030. And kind of giving me a little intel on the spot that he said was good on this public that I had been scouting and hunting. And uh, I'd hunted it a couple times the year before. And then I would killed my first turkey there uh that year, 2011. So I had a little experience on the property, but this guy gave me a little intel. And so I walked in there. I want to say it was, yeah, during muzzleloader season. I didn't have a muzzleloader, so I just walked in there with my orange just a scout and I saw some deer across the property line in another field where he had told me it was like a pinch point between uh two private fields and I was in the woods and some some hardwoods and then there's cedar thicket on both sides. So it was a good pinch point. And so I picked out this big maple tree right on the corner of the property overlooking this creek and this pinch point. And so I came up there before daylight, opening day, gun season and sat down at the base of that maple tree and it got to i don't remember seven eight o'clock in the morning and i was kind of dozing off and i heard something behind me and looked around my shoulder and this little five point picks up his head five yards behind me and looks at me and i was like um busted so i like turn like go to get my gun he puts his head right back down he's on the trail of a doe that had come through sometime earlier and you know it was during the rut so he just put his head, he looked at me, put his head straight back to the ground, started sniffing down this trail and came around to my left. And I picked up a gun that had the, uh, the Weaver see-through scope mounts where you can use the iron sights. Yep. And he was at eight yards. I looked under the scope, used the iron sights and hard shot him. And <laughs> I was saying most memorable no. hunt. I can still see the the bullet hole in, in that deer after I shot him. Because when I shot him, he took off like a rocket, but I got a glimpse of a bullet hole. And I can still see that moment in my head because it was like my first deer ever. I would never, like, it was my first time, well, not my first time deer hunting, but my first time that season, like my third time ever deer hunting. Wow. And and then uh, I struggled the rest of the season, didn't kill anything else, but, but that was something I won't ever forget.
2: No, that was a great story, man. I, You know, that's one of the things, like, you always think about your first time, but that that's a, that's a pretty memorable one there, right there, man. I love that.
0: Heck yeah. Yeah, I find I can't it pretty imagine. amazing too. Coming from uh, a whole family, nobody hunts. You kind of just picked it up on your own and, and where you've come from since then and what you're producing now and doing it all with camera just makes it that much more amazing, man. Cause I know how difficult that is and it, it's really tough. And I think what you're doing is great. Uh, your YouTube channel is awesome. I love it. Uh, we love it. Uh, just keep pumping out content, man. Keep doing what you're doing and. Hopefully, everybody here that's listening to this will head over there and check your stuff out.
1: I appreciate it. I'll, I'll keep doing my best and put out whatever whatever videos I can come up with.
2: Absolutely, right. man. Here's your chance. Tell them where they can find everything, all your content, your YouTube, your Instagram, Facebook, whatever you got, man. So, YouTube channels Catman
1: Outdoors. So it's Facebook. Instagram is at Catman five two nine. There's a 529 outdoors. I don't even remember. I think it's that Catman 529. Catman
2: 529. Yeah, you'll find it if you type that in.
1: I got a TikTok recently, so I'm on there as well. Oh, I'm going to, uh, friend you right now. Okay. <laughs> <Hard> cool. <kid. laughs> um, then I got my website, catmanoutdoors.com. That's where I sell stuff like my hats and, uh, t-shirts and decals and stuff. And then I've also got, uh, I'm working, I don't have a whole lot going on, on the website. I've got a little blog where I make a post with an update every now and again. But, uh, the main, the main project I worked on my site last year was my oak tree identification guide. So if you're into figuring out all the different oaks and what kind of acorns deer like, then that may be of use. So that's also a work in progress. I'm, I'll be adding on to it this coming year, but, uh, that's pretty much everywhere you can find
2: me. Beautiful, man. Well, we awesome. really appreciate you coming on and, and telling stories and sharing tactics and everything like that, man. We we really appreciate you taking time.
1: I appreciate you having me on. Yep. Thanks, Cat, man. Appreciate it, man. And have a good one.